Hello to you. Hello to you. Well, greetings. <laughs> cheers to you. Cheers. Oh, and cheers to you as well. <laughs> Welcome mm-hmm. to another very exciting episode of... It's a shame. Uh, the podcast where we dismantle the patriarchy and also <laughs> shame. And the shame that it has brought upon the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm like, I'm, I'm in that thing where, from what marathon runners tell me when they're getting close, you, you, you're like running a marathon and you hit a point when you think you're about to give up. Mm. <clears throat> and then the, uh, the endorphins kick in. Yes. And you're like, fuck yeah, I can do this. I, my endorphins just kicked in. Ah. So I'm like, yeah, got this. What? <laughs> no, I'm going to make it till the finish line. Excellent. Because I have seven days left at my Excuse me. FTE, full-time employers. Nice. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. It is. It's really exciting. It, it's been quite the quite the deal. So yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm in that like, uh, I'm at the part in the marathon where the endorphins just kicked in. So that's nice. Awesome. I don't know where I'm at. And I don't even know if I'm running a marathon. I'm just like running several races at the same time. It feels like. Yeah. I just did the marathon analogy because I was like, once I realized I was leaving, I was like, can I do it tomorrow? Yeah. It's like financially, no, you cannot. So yeah, that's where I've been. Yeah. There's that like stretch in front of you. Well, I mean, that's always how it is. Like with when you have like a big goal, right? <laughs> that you're like running towards or yes. know, to use the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel like that. It's just like the, the goal just feels like so far away. And then the closer and closer you get to it, you're like, oh my God, yeah. it's around the corner. Yeah. And it is. How are you? How are things for you? Oh, good. What I'm, sports analogy are you going to use? I don't know. I don't even know a sports analogy to use. I think it's just been a crazy couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So basically since like the start of the new year, I've been um, transitioning into a new role at my work and um, it's not a full transition yet. So I'm still doing like half of my old job and like half of this new job while also kind of doing a middle of the road management job. Oh, that sounds fun, easy and not stressful so at all. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it is good because, uh, I am realizing that the new portion of my job or what, you know, I'm striving to do full time and not the other two things mm-hmm. is what I really enjoy. Oh, nice. And it's been really awesome to kind of learn and test and stretch myself because it's a much more like creative role. Oh, cool. So sort of what, you know, you know this, but I'll tell the listeners, um, you know, I work for a marketing agency and I've been um, a writer and editor um, for years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with some of our clients, they're not the most exciting. And also it's just like a lot of like on-page copy or like commercial pages. So it's like a lot of the same thing over and over again, or like even our blogs aren't that inspired because they have certain SEO goals in mind Mm -hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. But so the new position that I'm kind of transferring into is, um, senior copywriter. And that is much more to support the creative team and like big campaigns. And it's Mm -hmm. much more idea driven and it's much more, um, you know, concise, uh, unique eye catching type copy. Yeah. So it's been super fun to do, but it's kind of been a challenge, like, kind of transferring between like my reporting and analyzing roles and my Mm -hmm. straight editing roles and then sort of the managerial stuff. And then, you know, my day has been kind of peppered in with like, Lily, we need new copy for this. And like, oh, this needs tweaked and this, we need this big campaign I have your sports analogy, but maybe it's not a sport. Okay. You're a plate spinner at the circus. Yes, yes, And you have to have so many plates spinning. Yes. And you've got to make sure they're all spinning. And you can't pay attention to just one of them because they'll fall. And then if one falls, they're all going to fall. So you've got to... Yeah. You're plate spinning. I am definitely plate spinning. That is how it feels. And you know what? I just legitimized <laughs> that as a sport with a capital S. So if it was Why not? Are you plate spinners before, out there? I mean, it seems like it would be marginally athletic or it requires oh, sure. some level of, you know, coordination, if not athleticism oh, at the very least. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's exhausting, but it's it's rewarding at the end of the day. So kudos to you, plate spinners. 
Yay, plate spinners. <laughs> and also you marathoners. Yes. Hopefully your endorphins kick in soon and mm. you know you're going to finish it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about today's topic. Yeah, me too. Um, we today are going to do something that we've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're doing something we do all the time, which is just kind of like winging it. Yes, but we're, we're doing like that, we're like obviously hard winging it with a very <laughs> vague uh, topic. We're actually going to discuss um, pop culture. Yeah, yeah, shame in pop culture, and we uh, purposefully kind of left that nice and broad. So we have. lots to talk about and we can go in many different directions yeah we can really let the conversation meander this is the entertainment (laughs) weekly uh episode (laughs) of it's a shame yeah or us magazine yeah yeah maybe or maybe variety i mean digestible and like candy yeah it could be it's it's one of many magazines you can choose from (laughs) and it may be all of them at different moments Mm -hmm. i feel like my goal is to walk away from this feeling like if someone were to make me analogous to a piece of like pop culture media, they would be like, it was a solid vulture article. You know <laughs> okay. what I mean? Like it's sure. like decent, informative. You still get your guffaws in. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm hoping to come away with. I like it. I think that's a good place to start from. Yeah. Yeah. Why we'll, not? We'll see how close I get to that. <laughs> uh, what about brand new information? Oh, I'm so glad you asked um, because I've been sitting here wondering if the fact that I'm getting ready to share is correct. I read it today um, and I was like, I don't know if this is true, but um, I believe that the article said, um, scientific article, uh, that shame, the earliest that known shame is experienced is uh, between 13 and 15 months. Oh wow! Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah, that at that at that age, like neurologically, we're able to yeah. comprehend like what shame is, and not surprisingly, it's very often associated um, with methods of um, discipline. So um, Lily has stepped away from the mic, so it's just you and I, dear listener. Um, uh, so yeah, so fifteen, thirteen to fifteen months of. Uh, Age, you can start to feel shame, and uh, I actually had a, a note about that somewhere. Okay, where is it? It was actually sitting right in front of me, which is hilarious. Ooh, so last week I was researching like the types of shame, mm-hmm. and there was this article um, by this I don't know psychologist, psychiatrist. You know, I don't know the difference. One of those two. Um, you can tell me someday. Um, but yeah, the four types of shame. So like unrequited love unwanted exposure, disappointed expectation, and exclusion. Interesting. Yeah, but within unrequited love was a really interesting aspect of it that I did not think of and kind of the name doesn't really suggest the same, I don't know, what he was actually talking about or what Feeling like your parents are displeased with you? Yeah, kind of, yeah, but it was like, yeah. So like when you're, like babies, for instance, when they're like looking at signs on their mother's face, for like those like love and reassurance yes. things. And yes, yes. they did these like experiments where like the baby would do something and the mother, you know, would obviously like react in this very loving yeah. and, and supportive and yeah. know, kind way or whatever. And then, but like even just facially, and then the baby would do the same thing later. And Dude. like the mother would just have a blank face. And then the, the further and further levels that the baby would go to to get the mother's yes. attention the, and like get you that You can back. get on YouTube and like if you really want to fuck your head up, like in grad school, we watched a ton of these kind of case study videos and like basically like it's like the blank face something or other, yeah. but like a, a baby will, and the mom will just stare at it and like the, yes, the baby will try to be funny. Mm-hmm. The baby will try to do all these things. The baby will mimic the mom and try right. to make that a joke. And it's just, it'll like break your heart Ugh. because like for me, like I just immediately go to a dark place and I just think about I'm like on my period, so like I'm about to cry even saying this, but like I just think about neglect of children in general, and I just think about like how certain maladaptive, if you want to call those like behaviors, are learned super early in people by because they didn't get reciprocated emotional energy. Yeah. So they just like put it out, put it out, put it out. And how that probably sort of starts those feelings of like I'm not good enough, or nothing that I can do is good enough to like get love. 
the yes. love that I'm craving. Or and need the other or side of it is I have to be downright hysterical mm. to get any attention at all. Is that where personality disorders come from? We'll take that offline. <laughs> okay. Because I've got so much to say. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, yeah. One, one cluster in particular. But yeah, actually, I mean, to answer your question, that's a huge part of it. It's just like, for whatever reason, like the, the level of emotion needed, like wasn't reciprocated. And so like they, the learned behavior is when I scream, throw a fit, do X, Y, Z, I then get the attention. Mm. So then it becomes like a normalized thing that like, Hey, if I do this in the past, it's worked. So it almost becomes like a learned behavior. Right. That you're kind of always chasing that too. Like you're chasing those good feelings or those feelings of like comfort and, and validation and protection. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. How isolating and scary it can feel to like start to feel like the, like alone, like mm-hmm. this person doesn't care about me anymore. Like I'm not getting any like cues that I'm going to be protected or fed yeah. or you know, taken care yeah. of. Which is why I think so many people with like personality disorders, namely like borderline personality disorder, like it gets a bad rap because, um, it's, it's lately people are talking about it more and less like in a negative light. But the interesting mm-hmm. thing about borderline personality to me is that part of like the healing like can begin for clients who have that. Like mm-hmm. when they are able to tap into the reality that they, for whatever reason, like they were not nurtured easily mm-hmm. by those around them. Yeah. And so like it's just what they did to cope. Right. But so often there's such a fear of rejection mm. or a, a fear of that lack of emotional reciprocity that it's hard sometimes to even get to a, a point with someone who has borderline personality disorder where they might be vulnerable enough right. with you to even have that conversation. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, I think I've asked you this before, but have you watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? No, but it's one of my uh, talking points for today. Ah, okay. Well, then we'll come around to that again. But yeah, it's a really interesting study in in borderline personality disorder and how they kind of start to explore it later. Um, so I guess before we like go into pop culture madness, I'll just give you my brand new information, which um, is going to start with an anecdote about my cats, because of course it is. I love it. I'm okay. here for it. <laughs> So they're usually pretty chill at night until about 5.30 in the morning, and then they wake up and, like, you know, sit on your head and pat your face. Oh, perfect. Just what you want. Yeah, exactly. They're cats. Um, But, like, the past month or so, they've been doing this really weird thing where they just have been, like, attacking me, like, my feet and my body in bed. And, like, like, not attacking necessarily, but, like jumping and Are they like, like playing? Yeah, playing. But like it but almost as if they're like batting around a toy. You're like, nope, they're drawing blood. They're not <laughs> yeah, playing. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, they they're playing, but they're it, it feels like they're like trying to like get something, like a bug or something, right? And I was like, oh God. And Are, they're not doing it to Stephanie, right? Are they trying to rouse you? Well here's the thing. I started getting really paranoid and I was like do I have like bugs on me or like, is there a bug in my bed? So I was like doing all these things. Is there like a weird smell that they don't like? So I was like washing the sheets and like really looking around and trying to be like, are there bugs? What the hell is happening? And then I was like, okay, they're only doing it to me. What's different between me and Stephanie's side of the bed for Christmas? Well, a little bit before Christmas, she got me a weighted blanket and I only have it on my side of the bed because she doesn't want to sleep underneath it. Uh Uh-huh. And so I started Googling, why do cats hate weighted blankets? And sure as shit, I found so many threads on like Twitter and Reddit and people were like, my cat hisses like whenever it's around and like won't come in the room with it. And like, they're like, my cat's been attacking mine too. I don't know what's going on. So like cats, like just a PSA, cats hate weighted blankets. Why? What is the science behind this feline rage? I wish that I totally knew. The only thing that I do know or what I can guess and what other people have been kind of posturing too is that, or positing, um, is that there's like the things that make it weighted must be like particle based, like, like bit based, you know? So do they make little like noises? They must make like imperceptible to us, like movements and noises. Oh. And the cats think it's something like living in Moving there. around and in the so bed. they're trying to get it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, damn it. So now I have this conundrum because I've been sleeping so much better with the weighted blanket, except for the fact that they wake me up at random hours trying to attack me. 
So I'm like, what do I do? Maybe we make you a weighted blanket out of something that is like not gonna like I know. move. I'm gonna have to do some research, and this is what Steph suggested too. Just like if like this is a known thing, maybe there's a company out there making cat friendly weighted blankets. Okay, I just found our way to make millions. I know, right? We just sew a bunch of stones in a quilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're separated so they don't touch each other or move around. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Anywho, that's my that's my brand new information. That is really good information. <laughs> I just bought for Christmas. My mom and sister both got weighted blankets, but neither of them have cats. Oh, well, that's so, a good thing. If they get cats, they should prepare themselves. Yeah, be ready for the uh, the feline hatred mm-hmm. of the weighted blanket. I was just so relieved to find that online, though, because I was like, oh, God, I'm so glad it's not, like, something, like, Going on with you. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, they just suddenly hate, like, my body chemistry or something. Yeah. <laughs> It's the the way to blanket. It's the way to blanket. At least I'm blaming it on that for now. It works for me. Especially if you found like um, a a Reddit thread, then then you're as good as gold. Yeah, right. It's real. It's fact. Oh, well, and it's on Twitter too, so fact. Done and done. (laughs) Total fact. Basically evidence-based at this point. It would hold up in a court of law. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to kick us off for pop culture? I don't know where to begin. I mean, I have like... Lots of thoughts about where we could go. Yeah. I guess I'll start with, like, if you have any, not just, like, I don't know, guilty pleasures or whatever, or, like, anything that you've identified with in a way where you're, like, kind of, like, ashamed of it a little bit. Or, like, not even identify with, but, like, thoroughly and completely enjoy. And you're, like, oh, I shouldn't really be enjoying this. Yeah. Um... Well, I mean, occupational hazard. Uh, for a while, I was super into my weird obsession that show on oh, TLC right, right, right. because I was just like, oh my god, if I taught like the DSM class, like I would be like, all right, kiddos, let's dive right in. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's just it's a fascinating show, um, but then it's also kind of like. Yeah, I love it because it just gets my wheels turning. And mm. I'm like, why that? Why that? Like, I have so many questions, yeah. you know? Um, Jamie cannot watch it. Like, he's just like... <laughs> it's it, like, too weird for me. Yeah, well, I mean, and also, like, you're watching people, you know, their addiction is, like, eating fistfuls of baby powder, you know? Like, oh, he can't yeah. watch that. Or, like, the person, like, from the season we watched, like... Like, was really into, like, chewing rocks. Oh, ouch. Gosh. Yeah, no, yeah. That's not it's, good for your teeth. Yeah. Is that the same show? It was really The guy who wanted ago. to fuck his car? Well, the guy who wanted to fuck his car is definitely and a I classic, think I think. did fuck his car. Yeah, probably. Uh, classic. Um, but there was also that woman who, like, kept eating bits of her couch. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And, like, and here's the thing to me. Like, with everything for me that is, like... Something that somebody becomes obsessed with or, like, if there's some kind of mental health element, like, there is no judgment. Like, I never watch those shows. Even the guy with the car. Like, I was fascinated. And not, like, in a judgmental, like, you're a fucking freak show kind of way. I was just, like what about this car? Like I wanted to talk to him, you know, and be like, like at what point did you realize that there, like your curiosity had been peaked sexually? Mm. Like what was it about the car? And like, right. I just want to unpack it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that part about this show is fascinating to mm. me. And like, even though it sounds like I'm intellectualizing something that's trash television, I actually think like part of the reason I'm like, I almost feel bad is like, that's why I like it is like, I really want to talk to these people. And I'm like, I have so many questions. Well, I think it kind of depends on like, I don't remember really what, how that show is structured or like even how it's produced or whatever. So I think it depends on whether or not like the show itself seems exploitative of those things, or if it's like more documentary style, like this is an interesting look at this. Or I want to say they were more objective, but I only watched like one or two seasons. I mean, I can imagine if it was like produced by MTV or something, they'd be like, look at these freaks. But I don't know. I think it was like TLC, but they're pretty (laughs) exploitative too. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a mixture of both. I mean, reality television, which is an oxymoron, is like the ultimate in exploitation regardless of what it is. Yeah. And even if like people sign up and like they say like these contracts are ironclad, like Unless you're in the editing booth, like, you have every opportunity to be exploited and fucked yeah, over. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's why I'm so confused why people agree to go on reality, reality shows. But that's, you know, their thing, not mine. <laughs> yeah. They want their 15 minutes. But some, yes, uh, so that, and then, like, I mean, I've got other stuff. That one's the first thing that come to, come, comes to mind. What about you? Um... Yeah, I think that, like, for a long time, and kind of interestingly, like, on the same vein 
I mean, not necessarily for actually, yeah, for sort of um, unpacking purposes and just being fascinated in general. Um, I really watch a lot of YouTube and I consider that like a crazy pop culture phenomenon. Um, but so like, much so that grandma over here doesn't understand <laughs> it. You have to like explain it to my ass. I know, but like it, it but it used to be, so I've, I've watched YouTube for a long time and like when like vloggers first started coming out and like just doing like conversational like videos of themselves just talking into a microphone in their room talking about their life or like showing their weird collections of things and whatever yeah I loved it and I at the time kind of felt shameful about it because I was like I think I'm too old for this like I'm not the intended audience and like it kind of felt like almost intrusive in a way because it was so like intimate and you know because you're like seeing like people's bedrooms behind them like Mm -hmm. where they're actually filming like there would be like piles of laundry or like whatever you know things like you're invited into their house and like there's a really intimate way and I sort of started to think to myself like why do I like this so much like is that like kind of pervy of me but I think it was really more about well I think it's a couple of things I'm just fascinated by like the way that people live and of course uh, what they're interested in And then it started to get educational, too, because, of course, you know, when I was, like, struggling with figuring out what the hell was going on with my sexuality, I started watching a lot of queer uh, content makers and, like, listening to them talk about their, like, journeys was really helpful and important Mm -hmm. to me. But then also there was just, like, there's also just really dumb aspects that I like, like the ASMR factor of certain things. Yeah. Like, I love watching this woman who um, does acrylic nails. And, like, my favorite thing (laughs) is when she's digging through, like, the beads that she's going to put on her acrylic nails Uh because it makes this, like, really cool sound. And then when, like, the the, uh, gloss at the end, like, it's not, it's like a visual ASMR where she, like, does the top coat at the very end and everything gets super glossy. Like, I get this, like, really satisfied feeling. So you, like, yeah. <laughs> so you, like, you have, like, a YouTube, yeah, like, kind of. it, like, it fills a lot of, like, weird little boxes that I have. Also, anytime you want to come with me when I get my nails done, like, you're okay. welcome to. I'll just I, be watching. I like... can promise it's not as satisfying. <laughs> it's me and, and my other Lily, which you know about <laughs> that mm-hmm. my, my, like, the lady who does my nails my manicures her name is lily mm-hmm. um yeah and it's it's not as satisfying it's just basically her looking at my nails and telling me i need to clean my nails with lemon juice because <laughs> oh. yeah because That's i use a purple shampoo because of my blonde hair oh. and so it's dying my natural nails under who cares what just happened <laughs> no it's a good tip anyway so she's like nothing cleans so if you've got stains on your nails ladies gentlemen mm. listeners uh, fingernails, toenails, etc. Uh, Lily number two told me that uh, lemon juice will lift nearly any stain out of your nail if you just cut a lemon in half and like rub your finger in it or whatever. Mm. And even like discoloration from things like like a toenail fungus or whatever. Yeah. Fun facts. Do you want to hear something kind of gross that I just realized <clears throat> lately? So you know Please, what? I like to keep always. my nails pretty short. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a dry throat. Um, Santa Ana's man. You should have some of that whiskey. I know. That'll, that'll you. wet your whistle. Thank you, Four Roses, for keeping my voice mellow. Mm, mellow. <laughs> four Roses. Thank you. So I like to keep my nails pretty short, but, like, sometimes, like, right now, I haven't cut them in a few days, and they're growing out a bit, and, like, they keep getting, like, grimy, and I'm like, I wash my hands constantly, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the hell is happening, and then I realized today I bought a um, tinted dry shampoo oh yeah and I think I think I've been like playing with my hair and like running like probably due to stress like running my fingers through my hair a sure. lot, like the scalp area too and I'm like I think that's what it is and I'm like oh god that's so gross no like the the purple shampoo like was dyeing my fingernails and then I would go in and she would take like the top acrylic layer off and She's speaking like, of shame <laughs> and like and she was just like and I talk about feeling shame she literally asked me she goes you do hair Oh, and I was like, no. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I do the farthest thing from here. Mm. And it took me a while to figure it out because she was like, your nails are so dark. And I was like, I'm a trash person. <laughs> like, I am a trash person. I have darker nails than most. She thinks I fucking dye hair for a living. My nails are so dark. And then I got super excited to come into her and be like, I figured it out. It's, it's a purple shampoo. shampoo. And she's basically just like, fine, white bitch, use lemon. <laughs> just clean your nails with lemon. Um, Amazing. Yeah. 
So, but anyway, you're more than welcome to join anytime, Excellent. but I don't Thank think you. it'll be the same effect. Well, I don't know. I really also love the sanding. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I love everything about nail it is. It's, for it's that satisfying reason. in a way too, to watch them like shape it mm-hmm. and like structure it. Mm-hmm. And like my lady has been doing acrylic nails and I have acrylic nails. Um, she's been doing them like since the eighties in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And like, she's just, it, it, she's got it down it. to a science and you're right. There is something very satisfying. Yeah. It's like watching a, it's like watching like 10 small art installations, yeah, happen, yeah. you know, it, it's really enjoyable. Yeah, totally. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that like, just because of like the various aspects of like why I watch YouTube and I watch like I, it runs the gamut. Like I watch, you know, the crowd pleasers that everybody watches, like the Bon Appetit channel to like small vloggers that I've been watching forever mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. like huge like YouTube stars like Jenna Marbles or whatever but it's like deriving like enjoyment out of it sometimes feels strange because it's also like it was 10 years ago such a new form of media that it was like why do I like this but apparently like everyone loves it like you sent me Jen the only person that you well you haven't shared a ton with me because I always say thing like grandma doesn't like YouTube <laughs> But you know my love of dogs, so you sent me Jenna Marbles, and I love her stuff. Yeah, she's and like, hilarious. and and I just also I'm I'm so invested in everyone, Kermit, you especially, <sighs> but I'm invested Kermit. in all of these dogs, you yeah. know, and like just anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, so on the note of like pop culture and like things like that, you know, I mean, you and I both gave answers and then you were like, oh, we feel guilty about watching this, but here's this like intellectual reason. And, like, <laughs> are, but do you, like, I, I have brain drain shit though. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I have shit that I just turn on so that I don't have to like do anything but watch the pretty people talk in front of me. I mean, that's me in most vampire shows. Yeah. Or like, here's another thing. I really like, um, YA like and teen shows like shows that are meant for teenagers and I'm like yeah. do I have arrested development is there something wrong with me we keep every time YA comes <laughs> up you say this but I don't think so I really don't but like just last night uh I was catching up on Sabrina because the third season just came out and I realized that I hadn't finished the second one yet but look at Ken and Shipka getting those paychecks I know. yeah I'm you know and people seem to like it it's really not a very good show okay um <laughs> Aesthetically, it's very cool. It's very dark. Um, it's It's got okay themes, but it doesn't have... I don't know. I don't find it very intellectually stimulating from a theme perspective. So it would fall into the category of, like, things you just look at because it's like, yeah. oh, pretty situations and people. Yeah, yeah. And by pretty people, I just mean, like, it's just all easy on the eyes. Yeah. Well, yeah. and especially, like, toward my aesthetic, too, because I love sort of more the, like, gothy style that, yeah. like, skews a little bit vintage. Yeah. Um, you know, like that, another show that I feel weird that I was, like, obsessed with, it was, um, oh, no, the something creations of Christine McConnell oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah. I love that weird show. I just can't stand, which oh, one is it? The, the, the raccoon. The trash the raccoon. Tra- yeah. I don't like trash the raccoon. The most annoying part of that show is that raccoon. Yeah, he needs, that one needs to get <laughs> killed off. Yeah, but it's just stuff like that, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, should I be, what about me likes this so much? Yeah, for me, it's like the mindless stuff is the stuff that I've already seen. Yeah. And so like it's predictable, like The Office or oh, mm-hmm. or like Arrest, Arrested Development is a good one. Or um, Oh, you just reminded me. That is a good one that I should go back to because I just, just funny. finished an Office rewatch. I rewatched the whole thing like every couple of years. And then so I started on Parks and Rec again. Mm-hmm. But. You yes, know, while we're, that's a natural segue to something I wanted to talk about, um, which is, yeah, there's like the things in pop culture that are like, oh, I'm ashamed that I like this or mm. whatever. Or like, you know, we talked about, the we Skyped about mm. hate watching. Oh, and yeah, then, like yeah, you yeah. and I just hate watched the Joker. And like we were oh, saying like yeah. hate watching is kind of like a euphemism for like, I'm embarrassed to say that for whatever reason I want to watch this. Yeah. So you have to like have like a qualifier for like, I'm hate watching, mm-hmm. but, um, which we can come back to hate watching if you want. But oh, no, what I was going to say. Oh Yeah. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is, speaking of parks and recreation, like, mm. something that I was thinking about when we were talking about shame and pop culture is, like, things that were exposed to me, not in some kind of indie film Parker Posey fucking underground way, but, like, mainstream ways that things I might have been ashamed of were 
normalized for me or huh. ways that like shame was busted open in, in pop culture. Yeah. And I didn't realize it until the end of the show when I kept referencing her as like my luxury queen and like I want to achieve Donna Meagle status oh. in my life. Yeah. And I realized that like I loved like I just I love the character of Donna Meagle. Mm-hmm. I love I love Retta. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram religiously and watch her sing good morning to me. Probably <laughs> Three mornings out of seven on lovely. her. Uh, yeah, you have to follow. It's lovely. But anyway, um, so uh, I remember like thinking like Donna Meagles' this character who celebrates herself. Yeah. She's independent. She's self-aware. And it wasn't until later when other things that Retta would do or things that would come up about Retta's weight and it dawned on me that at no point was Donna Meagles' weight a plot point ever. Oh yeah. Yeah. In any of Parks and Rec. Like it just was not something that anyone talked about. And this is a character who had romances and got married. Right. Like, you know what I mean? And it's just so rare that someone isn't like the size two, four or whatever, double zero Hollywood. And that people don't have to like address, especially in mainstream pop culture. No, absolutely. And with Donna Meagle, that never happened. That's an interesting point. Yeah. I I never really considered that, but you don't really see that very often. I mean, you see it all the time with like male characters. It's Mm -hmm. never really addressed or if it is, it's like in this really like funny way, like, Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. he like he's been watching too many football games, but and he's earned it because he makes all the money for the family or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, and I love too that like she's able to have <clears throat> sort of this really strong voice, um, and she can just kind of like be herself and tell people to like fuck off, basically, yes. which is amazing. But it's she's also a really kind person. Yes, like on Treat Yourself Day, where she just can't stand it that Ben is eating soup by himself on a park bench, and so she invites him to come along. And Tom's like, "No, man, I don't want him to yeah. come along." And she's yeah. just like, "We're bringing him with us." Yeah, oh, Donna Meagle is such. A, <laughs> she's one of my like top five like TV characters yeah, of all time. Like I just, she's I love. Excellent. And then there, Crazy Ex Girlfriend I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm, like that was. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, I was reading today, trying to get some inspiration and like, think of like ways that shame has been kind of like explored for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and those who identify as female, like in pop culture. And one of the things that kept coming up on listicles and articles was, um, my crazy ex-girlfriend, yeah. because not only is she very owning in her, like, uh, impulsive behavior mm-hmm. and kind of radical behavior. But I guess now I don't watch the show, but like, and, and apparently now there's more of like the unpacking of the mental health mm-hmm. stuff and her trying to kind of like have ownership of it in a way that like, isn't necessarily like full of shame, but like, no, this is what I feel. And so yeah. this is what I did. And this is like how my brain works. Yeah. It's, it's a really good show in that way. I mean, cause even the title, like crazy ex-girlfriend is sort of like using the trope against itself, right? You know, because mm-hmm. the 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 um, cliche of the crazy ex girlfriend is just so widely <laughs> disseminated oh, yeah. throughout pop culture and throughout you know culture in general. Um, so I really like how it plays with that. Like even in the theme song, like the opening song, where she's just sort of like they're singing their way sort of through uh, how yeah. she ends up in the situation that she ends up. Cause the show is also a musical. So it, uh, often they're singing their way. Which through appeals scenes. to me on a very high <laughs> level. And oh, I'm like, you'll love this show. I'm like, how have I not watched I this I don't know. Yet? You'll love it. But like they even address that the fact that like, she's like, this is a very offensive term, like in yeah. the opening. Amazing. So it's really good that way. And then also, um, yeah, just sort of unpacking <clears throat> cause she does have like all these erratic behaviors and then sort of unpacking the, the journey that she goes to and trying to figure out why, because yeah. it kind of starts to escalate a little bit and sure. you see that happen. Just like, you know, people with mental illness who like go unchecked, like it yeah. will escalate and escalate. Yeah. And then you see that and then you start to see her and the ways that that makes her sort of rely on the friends that she's made. And then she also has this really amazing relationship with her therapist and it shows mm. that a lot too. And like how the therapist, just, you know, their relationship changes a bit and, and she kind of like holds her at arm's length, but then is like trying to take her advice. And then 
Yeah. Once she finally, like, gets a diagnosis and starts to understand it, the ways that she, like, works through it is really fascinating. Okay, why am I not watching this show? <laughs> I don't really like it. Oh, my God. Okay. Really it's like it's it. up next. It's yeah. up next for sure. Um, another moment, I mean, there are so many, like, mm-hmm. once I started thinking about it, but I was trying to remember moments, like, like there's this moment in Fleabag where she, I can visualize it perfectly she's sitting on the toilet and she's like I'm not obsessed with sex I just think about it all the time yeah and I was like yes Mm -hmm. like but but because as women like we our sexuality is not explored especially if you're someone who has like a voracious sexist like it has to be phrased that way instead of like it's something that's on my mind like I'm thinking, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we just don't even know how to talk about our yeah. own sexuality, let alone if it if it's... On your mind a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I know, because, like, when you're growing up, I mean, even in some sex ed, I remember, like, them, like, giving us stats, like, young men to think about sex, like, oh, 50 that. times per second I'm or so whatever. angry I was ever told anything like that. I know, that. right? And, and, like, they never would have, like, even admitted that, the girls were thinking about sex at all, of right? Not. And so, yeah, to have someone with a more, uh, like, a higher libido or, like, a more, like, potent sex drive or whatever, exploring that, though, too, in interesting ways where, you know, it does, I think, in a really responsible way where sometimes she's she thinks that she's having too much sex or whatever so she tries to sort of curb those behaviors but then yeah. she realizes that like wanting sex is not the ultimate problem it's all of the stuff that she's avoiding instead instead of the sex yeah 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 that that show just and then another one uh that just explores oh, wait, sorry. female sexuality in such a crazy way which is great is um i love dick i love dick i, I hate to say it but uh i've never seen that show uh, oh, Kevin, uh, seven degree, eight degrees of separation to Kevin oh, Bacon. Kevin Bacon? Kevin Bacon and the girl your oh, wife doesn't like watching. Oh, right. We tried to watch it, the Marfa show. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We tried watching it, but yeah, Steph doesn't like, what's her name? It, it's, it's a very interesting exploration of like female desire. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Centered around Kevin Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. And then, you know what? I've never found him attractive. Me either. And I don't even after I love Dick. Yeah. But it's her journey, and it's I'm here for it. Got that like creepy vibe. I don't know. Just not somebody's uncle who's from Tampa. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Tampa, maybe somebody's creepy uncle from somewhere. Tampa seems to ring a bell. All right. You had you had an oh um, yeah. I just wanted to say one more thing about Fleabag and. I freaking loved this moment so much, and I, I can't remember at which awards show it was. I think it was the Golden Globes. It may have been the SAG Awards, <clears throat> where uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, thanks Obama for putting Fleabag in his list of, like, his favorite shows of 2019. Yeah. And then she, like, sort of, like, slips in, like, an, uh, an allusion to... Um, how her character masturbates yes. to Obama. Yes. And I'm like, that was one of my favorite, like, pop culture moments of last year where she basically... She's like, you're on one of my lists, Yeah, too, you're, you're on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that where, like, uh, this, like, woman who's had this, like, incredible year for incredible work that she's put out that is, like, busting all these female stereotypes and busting down, like, glass ceilings and whatever, like, got to allude that, like, she wrote a scene in which her character masturbates to a former president and like speak directly to him about it yes it was just yeah it was a magic moment so great it was just such a great moment for like moving the needle forward for ladies how we get to talk about sex everywhere it was a great moment for all of us (laughs) for all the ladies who've masturbated to obama especially yes and and those of you who never did but also a sex dream suddenly happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so hey we got to talk about the big one, I feel like, for uh, our generation, especially in the last decade, in terms of representation, different sizes, different orientations, different Orange is the New Black. Oh, yeah. Talk about <laughs> seeing women in such a raw state. I mean, yeah. Genji Cohen ju- jumped the shark. At a certain oh, yeah, that show definitely jumped the shark. But I remember watching the first two seasons and being like, how crazy that I'm given the option of so many different character storylines to be invested in. Yeah. And, like, 
we're not talking race is not what we're talking about with that person. Right. Their weight is not what we're talking. Their age is not what we're talking about. Like their stories are. It was just. Yeah. It was a really brilliant premise and. Yeah, I uh, so I was just listening to um, Murder Squad. They're doing their winter distraction series right mm. now, and they had oh gosh, Laura. Lu- I don't know. I'm going to get her name wrong. Anyway, one of the um, prison guards from Orange is the New Black, they have her on and they are talking about the show. Mm. And something that they are discussing (coughs) that I think, I'm so sorry that I have this cough. Um, But uh, one of the things that they discussed that I find so amazing about that show is that in a lot of cases, you start to really like the characters before you even know their backstory. Yes. You just see them as, like, you come women from a place in, no this, judgment. in this place, like, yeah. and dealing with, like, this crazy prison situation, like, the best that they can. And, and, and you get to see, like, the ways that they, like, are, like, like, they have, like, ingenuity about their, like, uh, circumstances or, you know, they have certain talents or they have certain empathies and kindnesses. And, and you, you get, get to see, see their vulnerabilities. Right. Like, they're, they're coping mechanisms that they have, like, flawed or otherwise mm-hmm. and how, yeah. Like and, and even before, like, like, what sort of brought them there, you learn about who they are as people, like, at their yeah. core almost. Yeah. You know? I would love, too, to hear from, like, our listeners and, like, I'm, I mean, we've not even skimmed the surface, you know, like that was just such a like, but I, but I just know that there's so much media out there that is allowing people to kind of like find heroes that are more representative or mirroring or even not mirroring literally of you. But like, I don't know, like I just... When yeah. I started thinking about talking about this shame pop culture, like yeah. I immediately just started thinking about like, you know, because it's easy because there's so much to unpack. Yeah. 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 And one of the things I just kept thinking about was like ways that like somebody said or did something and I felt like a little bit of like relief. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like something happened and I was like, oh, that's a normal thing. Right. Or Which just leads me to say like, writers in television who are women and who are pushing the envelope and our male allies too and especially women of color who are writers like I just think like everybody keeps saying it's an overused phrase but like the golden age of television yeah but I really do think like part of the reason we're having such like a great time with pop culture and media and shows like Orange is the New Black and Mm -hmm. otherwise is because like we're actually giving people who have not had a voice a seat at the table, hopefully, yeah. if not yeah. a loud voice in the room. <clears throat> yeah, well, and also, like, um, I think with, like, more and more uh, avenues to consume mm-hmm. content through, mm-hmm. the more good content is being made and explored. And I think that more types of stories are being explored, even, like, historical stories. So uh, I really love the show Gentleman Jack. Mm-hmm. for instance. And one of the reasons that I loved it so much <clears throat> is because it's like about this woman, Ann Lister, and it's like based on a true woman and her like true diaries. She wrote journals upon journals about her life. Um, I started reading them. Some of them are really amazing and some of it is just like real minutia about her life. <clears throat> but she also like uh, created this, her own code that's like a mix of like Greek and algebra You were telling me about this, which is just so fucking crazy. So anytime that she would write about, so Ann Lister was, like, sort of the, uh, she's deemed sort of the first modern lesbian who was, you know, pretty much out in society. Um, And there is the caveat to say that she was able to do that because of her extreme privilege Mm -hmm. in life. She was Mm -hmm. a woman of means and property. Um, And so she could live as openly as she did. Um, But even then, she wasn't really allowed to be that open and was kind of, like, shamed and shunned a lot. like the society around her and had to be like really careful about the way that she navigated the world. But one of the things that I love the most about the show is just, and just the fact of Ann Lister herself is that you just, it just reminds you that people are who they are at their core. Yeah. Even when the complete society around them like hates like, and wants to dismiss and wants to uh, ignore and pretend that like, what you they want are, to erase what it. you are isn't and what you are yeah. does not exist. Yeah. Um, your core will just shine through. And she's just such a beautiful example of that. You know, she's sort of like dressed in 
uh, a more masculine style, hence her nickname through town, Gentleman Jack. And like, you know, she lived pretty much openly with a woman and like, and kind of went through the, the marriage ceremony. Well, they took sacrament together. They couldn't legally get married, but, and, you know, and like willed her property when she died and all of those things. So it's just like, yeah, that sort of sense that, and telling those stories now where it's like, look, oh, this yeah. has always been here because I think that people tend to try to like make homosexuality or just queerness in general, like a modern thing, like, oh, you kids today are just like, sure. you have too much freedom or like yeah. whatever this fluidity nonsense is that you're talking about. And you're like, no, it is always been it's here. It's always been here. That's just a convenient narrative for people who are trying to control the narrative. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like a, yeah. But I, I, I think you're, and yeah, I never did start that show. You kept telling me about it and I really do need to watch it. Yeah. It's really good. It's just, um. Did it get better? Yeah, I really like the way that like the season ended. I don't know if it's coming back. I hope that it does. But yeah. So I mean, you know, I think that shows like that. Uh another one that I've been telling you about is sex education. Yes. Oh, I need God, to watch that so one. Good. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend that to people um because of the way that it's very, very frank about sexuality. Again, it's kind of one of those things, it's more uh like young adult focused because mm-hmm. the, the main character well most of the main characters are in high school um but it's a really cool look at sort of how more open conversations about sexuality and sex in general really help a society be more empathetic with each other and yeah. more um connected than it does harm them, you know. Because yeah. you see it's it just explores a lot of ways in which like if you can't give a, a name to something or you don't want to talk about it, then just shame just kind of Well and sometimes in, there's literally no everything. language. Yeah. Sometimes there's literally no language and we have to together invent the language. Yeah. That's you know, a good and point. so I mean I feel like, you know, to I keep pivoting topics because there are so many I want us to talk about. But another thing like I really would love to touch on is ways in the last, I don't know, I was going to say 10 years, but I mean, God, who even knows what year it is? (laughs) Um, But ways in which like people who have the power and gift really of like voice have used it in a way Mm. to... Uh, disclose things or say things or own up to things or share their truth or their vulnerability or whatever it is. And, and ways that that has been kind of like, I'm, I'm the every person and this is going on with me. Yeah. Um, one of my, uh, personal favorites is anytime anybody has been given some kind of diagnosis in terms of mental health and they share it. I really love that. Um, yeah. One of my f- favorite examples um, is uh, Catherine Zeta Jones because, like, oh, I don't know anything about. This. Yeah, so she was she was diagnosed as bipolar, oh, I didn't know and that. like she she got busted, I guess, going and busted, going <laughs> into like her psychiatrist's office or something. I don't remember okay. the context. But I just remember when I was uh, in school, when I took the DSM course, uh, the instructor was like, everybody has to bring in a celebrity that has been open about their mental health or like a famous person and talk about it. And so many people, when Catherine Zeta-Jones got done, which she was like, I think the first or second one, everybody was like, oh, because speaking of pop culture, she's such a big, you know what I mean? Like, and she's kind of like one of these, like America's sweetheart leading ladies or like, she's Welsh. Yeah. She's Welsh. Is she, but she's like a a leading lady who's a sex symbol and like, you know, and they're like her beautiful people can't be ill. I know how, Mm. um, but I, I really like that. I also, you know, like, yeah. So Hmm. If there's anything you can think of, like where somebody who has the, yeah, I mean besides Pete Davidson, <laughs> yeah, um, who's borderline, yeah, no, I mean I think that um, not just mental illness, but like physical illness too. Like when mm-hmm. people share their cancer stories, like Shannon Doherty, and like as someone with MS, like Selma Blair Selma now Blair. talking about having MS yes. and using that goddamn yes. stunning cane, yes, lately, and yes. just. 
Exactly. And really talking about it yeah. and, and being like, instead of being as some, this is something I'm trying to hide. Like right. this is a huge part of who I have to retire into the shadows or yeah. whatever. It's like, no. God, that's been so incredible yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I think that that's really inspiring. Um, yeah. I, I think, I'm trying to think of. We've talked to, you and I have talked a lot. You and I, sorry, Fiona just dug her claws into me because she wants attention. Are you wearing a weighted blanket? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am uh, a weighted blanket. Maybe they're um, just assholes. No, I'm just kidding. We, you and I have talked a lot about uh, Billy Porter and Jonathan Van Ness. Yes. And how those are two uh, people who are just really open and vulnerable about yeah. God. No, 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 no. Keep going. Uh, just about um, their lives and about some of their struggles that yeah. other people might find taboo. Yeah. I um, love Jonathan Van Ness, uh, and I love his podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you do you listen to it? I have. I, I, I'm a picker and a chooser. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, when I see a celeb I like or an interview I think I like, I'll go in. Yeah, I don't listen to it as often as I want to just because, you know. And I love him, but, like, a little Van Ness goes a long way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes I go on because, like, I want – which is why he's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes I will listen to his podcast because I want to hear about the guest. Mm. And, yeah, (laughs) he's a lot. But but we're all there for that. Yeah. No, and I just love him, too. Like, um, so Queer Eye, for instance, when I first saw that it was coming back, I was like – Come on. Do we yeah. really need this? Like, because the old, the first one, you know, while it, there are many, it did a lot to sort of like, uh, I don't know, expose people to queer culture and sort of normalize uh, gay men, especially to like the more buttoned up. And you know, I like the tension, world. like I, I, the tension between a lot of the, the people that they have on in those first yeah. seasons that are men who maybe have never been in close proximity to someone who identifies as gay or queer. Right. And like, there is a little bit of tension, but also how they work it out is so. Well, and that's why like, I, I ended up kind of turning a corner on, and I didn't, like the fact that it was coming back. I was like, we don't need Queer Eye again. Like, yeah. haven't we progressed beyond this? Like, yeah. what is even happening? But I think that the way that they have framed that show is much more, like, positive and sort of more of, like, a um, life coachy in a way, you know, yeah. to, like, get people to, like, a really true and beautiful place. And it's right. less about, like, introducing gay men to the world is like, look, they're just like us or they're like normal. You know how I feel like the first iteration of Queer Eye was where it was just like, let's just expose people to gay men because they've never seen them before or whatever. And and I, and, and I understand, I mean, I, I can't understand 100% where you're coming from because I'm not you, but I also like, there was something about it being in the South for me as a Southerner, mm. watching men who I could tell, like, had not been around people who identified as gay or queer and kind of watching the tension. Mm-hmm. And then the moments where the tension breaks and they laugh or they share a joke. And, like, I just, I really enjoyed that. But yeah. I think you're right. You can't do, like, eight seasons of a show of that. You know what I mean? But, like... No, no, no. I think that you can. I just think that... Okay, you. So, do you remember the first Queer Eye? Do you mean, oh, like the first the iteration? One that was like in the like 90s. So you mean, when you're saying the first Queer Eye, you mean like the first Queer Eye show? Yes. Okay, I think you meant the first one. season. No, 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 no Oh no. my God, because I didn't even count the first <laughs> fucking series. No, I'm kidding. You know, I do, I no. do. But like, I didn't, yeah, so the first iteration. The first one was like, we're here, we're queer, I hope you're okay with that. Well, and then it was also, it was a little bit meaner. I think from what I remember, it, it was more like, let's go into these like gross people's houses and make them yes. better because we know better. But then, but it also very much seemed to come from a place of like, we're just trying to expose people to fucking gay men because yeah. they don't know anything about it and they should, and we should humanize this in a way. And that's why I was like, do we need another queer eye? But then I, what I love about the new iteration is that it's very much more, yeah, like, like it's much more the human elements of it yeah. and it's it's it still has that um 
yeah, pe people who don't know should learn more about queer culture or, like, know or, like... Or putting people who maybe, like, wouldn't even be in the same space. To be able to empathize with each other and, and commune together or whatever. Yes. Yeah. But also, the first one, you're right, they were mean because one of my sister and I's running jokes is, like, they went to this guy's house, single guy, as I remember, and he had, like, a like a very high uh, ceiling, mm -hmm. and he had turned it into, like, a run for his cat and oh. had, like, cat oh. cubbies and stuff everywhere, mm -hmm. and one of them made, like, a very cruel joke about, like, oh, yeah, because this is a good idea on how to, like, and, like, we always laughed and, like, just kind of because of, like, how sassy it was, but then yeah. also, like, my other problem with the first Queer Eye, though, it was cutting edge in its own way and like you know it's hard for me to even like criticize in a way because I'm like I have no idea what it took to get that show on the air right, yeah. but I do think for men that I know who identify as queer men that it it did a lot of harm too and the yeah. stereotype of like all of your gay male friends are happy to redecorate your home and also exactly. teach you how to dress exactly and I think that there's a little bit more to the second this second iteration where they're actually trying to kind of be like, they're opening it up like with a Karomo, I'm going to say Karomo. And then also um, the chef. Oh, Anthony. Anthony. Even though there's a lot of avocado. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of avocado. He's trying to change it up. But I mean, even so, yeah, I, and, and I know we're talking a lot about queer eye, but another thing that I do like about the this second iteration is that even though they each have their like specialty, mm -hmm. they're given opportunities to show their own complexity. Like they're yes. not just stuck. I think in the first season they were a little bit stuck in their zones, but they've they've uh, been able to to. So, for instance, like Bobby, who's my favorite, and mm -hmm. he's just you know supposed to just be the like interior designer. Or Bobby's whatever. my favorite too. Go Bobby. Um, but like there's a lot of episodes where they show him like having heart to hearts with people like Kuromo does too, you know. Yeah. Especially that one where he doesn't want to go into the church because of like yes. the damage that it caused. That him. one I made cried, me cry. Cried, cried. Again, and I feel like Bobby with the Southern bringing yeah. me like in that like it's just there's a vulnerability there. And I feel like as a country divided, like I, there's something that is more valuable right now about this show than so many things. Like I just yeah. yeah. It's it's great. It is great. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's a sort of a, a good lesson for me to be like, don't be so judgmental because I just like had this idea of what queer I was and I was just like, no, I don't want to see another one. And then it totally won me over. Yeah. And I, I'm behind actually. I save it. My sister and I actually joke about like when a new season drops, it's like, well, I know I've got something nice waiting for me mm -hmm. that feels good. <laughs> and maybe if I need to cry, I'll have an opportunity. And Well, that's another thing. There is something like I sometimes feel a little bit like shameful about how much I can binge things. I can just consume. Oh, no, honey. You just, just consume. All consume, that means consume. is that you have like Netflix or Amazon or we're, we're so many articles have been written about the like, now this is how we do things. Yeah. For example, I'm watching uh, The Outsider on oh, HBO. Right, uh -huh. I thought it was, by the way, I just put the emphasis on the first syllable, like a true southerner. Instead of saying HBO, I went, I'm watching The Outsider on the HBO. The HBO. The HBO. <laughs> And I thought it was only four episodes. I thought it was done. And I was like, oh, Jamie, we'll just burn right through this. And then, like, we started. Oh, is it like a slow release? Like yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, look, the gang's all here. Let's watch it. And then, like, we're starting episode four. And, and I'm now like, you have to wait. I'm like, wait, what the fuck is this? It's like, Jamie, how many episodes? And he's like, Googles it. And he's like, oh, 10. We're right in the. And he's, like, excited. Mm -hmm. He's like, 10. We're right in the middle. Like, right here we are. And I'm like. Well, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, I need to watch <laughs> the like, whole thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it. It's sometimes I do look at that and I'm like, how the hell have I found the time to watch seasons and seasons and seasons of shows? But like, I haven't spent any time with like my personal writing or like making things or. Which yeah. is maybe what we should talk about next time. Yeah, I mean, oh, damn. The shame of media consumption. 
It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And it's, it's as easy as breathing to do because literally you keep watching and breathing. They're going to pop the next episode up and then they'll send you a message that says, are you still breathing? (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. You know, do you really want to continue watching? And you're like, yes. You're like, stop. I know I've watched eight episodes nonstop, but yes, I do want to continue. Yeah. You don't know know my life. It's just one of those things too, though, that like I get really invested and I think that's why I have such strong opinions and sometimes our friends are like, why do you hate all movies? It's not that. It's just I have very strong opinions about like things that happen in them because I get so invested Invested. in what is going on that I want to like pick apart all of it. And so I think that that's something that like I just do. I get like obsessed with a show. Yeah. Any given show that I'm watching that I actually end up identifying with, I get so obsessed with it that I'm like living inside of it. And then like, I can't imagine watching any other show. Yeah. Like I don't, I have, well, I like have reading no a taste book. for anything else. It's like reading like show. a really good book. Like yeah. when you like get engrossed and you're like, I need to, yeah, 100%. And that's why yeah. you binge because it's like reading a book. Like when you want to know what happens next with the story, you just open the book again. And like exactly. you have the... Um, so as we wrap up, I have kind of, a, um, I don't know, like in terms of pop culture and shame, I'm trying to think of like an opening, like a good, all right, here we go. Okay. Is there a soundtrack or soundtracks, plural, from films that you remember like connecting with or soundtrack from a tv show or like or do you seek that out okay that i that i connect with yeah like are there ones i guess we could just like end by talking about pop culture soundtracks okay shameful of some recommending some oh i don't know if i feel shame about these they were just very important soundtracks for me the Stealing Beauty soundtrack. Fuck yes. I love, love, love it so much. Uh, yeah. I to mean, get that Liz Fair track I that wasn't on the other albums? Just like general life fantasies surrounding that soundtrack where I put it on and I just can like transport myself into various like dream lilies. Dream lilies. Yeah. That's what I'm going to start calling that. <laughs> How are your dream lilies face? Um, but no, you're right. That was a great soundtrack. Okay, for me, like, I'm a little bit ashamed, but if somebody puts it on, do you know how excited I would be? Well, no one's going to put it on. But it's the Romeo and Juliet Gus Van Sant yes. fucking soundtrack with the cardigans, with the song that made me buy the cardigans yes. album. And I was like, I'm obsessed with them and have been since the day. Cardigans people, they're still good. Yes, but it's they're not still... Gus Fancyant, it's um Oh shit. Who is it? The Moulin Rouge guy. Oh, that son of a bitch. What is his name? He really loves to make it spicy. Oh my and, god, it's um, gonna drive okay, me wait. crazy. No, we he has three names too. Um doesn't he isn't he like a, a three name? Uh no, Boz Boslerman. Yes, Boslerman. Boslerman. Yeah, 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 the Australian. Um, no, that is an excellent soundtrack. I am so sorry, oh. Gus Van Sant, by the way. <laughs> Elephant was a delight. Like, I, how I dare love, you? Yeah, I love, I love so many of your films. Um, no, that's a fucking great... Yeah. And kind um, of shameful. The, um, the Desiree Ooh, t- like the... Isn't that her? I think it's Desiree. It's the... Um, oh, it's the, so, it's, it's it's so tearful yeah. and, and soulful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's... Oh. Damn. The one that's like been around the world to suit your friend. There's like so many good ones. Yeah, it's Peace. Really a good song. I hate the um, word yeah. as I hate the yeah. Do yourself a favor or not, folks. And uh I have three more. Okay. Is that insane? No, let's do it. Okay. Cause you just reminded me now. Um the cruel intentions soundtrack. Fuck <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh my god, it's so good. I'm sorry. That Counting Crows song that they have colorblind made me cry all the time when I was in high school. So what this episode has proven to you on so many levels is that we are white bitches. Exactly. Yeah. No, we real oh, white. 
Oh my God. Um, someone just sent me a meme today that was um, songs that white people go crazy to and like can't help but singing <laughs> at the top of their lungs. I'll send it to you and we'll post it on the socials or on the blog because it is so accurate. I'm ashamed to admit that I will probably agree with every single one of them. Oh yeah. You, you will. Um, except there are a couple of random country ones in there that probably not. Um, Cruel Intentions, yes. Empire Records. Oh, yeah. Sugar High. Yep. Oh, oh the yeah. The only tragedy of the um, Empire Records soundtrack is that they do not have the version of Sugar High with Renee, Renee Zellweger. Zellweger. And it's yes. the best part of the movie. It, it is. It and is. you just miss it on the Till soundtrack. Till I hear it from you. Oh, swoon, swoon, swoon till this day. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> okay, what's your third one? Oh, God. What was my third one? Do you have Was it one? Reality Bites? Yes! I knew it! it was reality I knew it! <laughs> of course it's Reality Bites. Yeah, Reality Bites is another, like, just epic, feel-good soundtrack. You can put it on at any minute. So and... somebody was telling me recently that the movie doesn't hold up, but I will say that forever and ever, at least the scene to my Sharona in the convenience store will hold up. And... I was the person who said it doesn't hold up. Oh, yeah. Because I recently right. watched okay. it, and you're right, that always holds up. And you know what else holds up? The flag. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Okay, there are a couple of things that hold up. <laughs> but, like, the one that, like, was my favorite when I watched it as a teenager and is still my favorite is when it's just Winona and Janine having coffee and talking about she needs pending uh, results for the AIDS test. And she's like, people are going to fucking show up at my fucking funeral and chokers and shit. And like, they just have this like really real conversation where, um, which is part of the reason it's a problem is that um, when a writer's character finally like sets her own shit down for a minute Mm -hmm. and checks in and is like, how are you? And they have this like really meaningful dialogue. And it's not about like, dudes or it's just like the two of them checking in and yeah. I just love that moment and I loved it as a teenager because it made me laugh out loud because choker chains were popular and I just remember <laughs> thinking like if I died people would definitely wear choker chains at some point to my funeral and that would be a bummer and now they're back again <laughs> yeah. so if I die anytime soon just if Lily okay. if, if you see anyone in a choker chain at my funeral I was also just gonna say maybe we should try to make packs and maybe put it on the invite are there invitations for funerals? Um, Put in, uh, yeah, just make sure. Just no trendy, no trendy attire. Yeah, just come like with your classic, basics. folks. Like if you own Lands in, now's the time to wear it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. No, Joker <laughs> Jay. <laughs> <laughs> On that pop culture note, yeah, this has been a fun one. It has been fun. We needed a fun one. Yeah, and I think that we'll do these like peppered throughout because it's just nice to take a break from like the serious yeah and like we're nearing the end of a marathon you and i yeah like, we're gonna true, have true. some we're gonna we're, now we have endorphins so we can talk Ooh. about pop culture yeah yeah all right well thanks for listening everyone. yeah thanks and hey special thank you to paolo who oh, took an international yes. vacation and still and managed still editing like a champion oh my god yeah we we have the best editor thank you, paolo. We yeah love you. we love you very much and uh yeah so um everybody we... i almost <laughs> i almost used the, the ending um catch line of another podcast just oh. now i almost <laughs> like i'm so tired i almost said that and i was like nope that's not what we're doing here right now i was just gonna say we'll see you next tuesday we'll see you next tuesday <laughs> bye take a care of yourself bye <laughs> see you next tuesday <laughs>